0: When he did this, he's super tall. Uh, if you can hear that extra room noise, that's laughter, because he's not. He's kind of short, and we, uh, we like to give him a hard time for it, because I'm kind of tall. Still not six feet long arms, though. There are a few things that I want to say that are of utmost importance before we get into the sermon, all largely reiterations of what Eric just said in the announcements. The first one is this. Uh, just because we're not gathered here... Uh, does not mean the church body isn't still strong, does not mean the Spirit of God isn't still active in the world. And I also want to reiterate to you that just because you're tuning in still, just the same as you would if you were sitting in one of these chairs, that Sunday morning worship experience that you're having in your bed or your couch or your car or wherever you are is not a substitute for the call that you have on your life to live out the kingdom of God to be a carrier of the presence of God wherever you go, even if as far as you go is between your front and back door this morning. Point one. The other misconception is that... uh, How do I want to put it? Maybe two things. First thing, the lie is that if you're stuck at home alone, right that you're getting weaker, that you're getting less and less important, that your value is diminishing, that your purpose is diminishing. It's kind of the same thing. Your purpose and your power is wholly dependent on the Spirit of God. So don't think that just because you're at home, you're not doing the things that you normally are doing, that God has abandoned you or forsaken you in any way. But the other misconception is uh, often we believe, especially in in an era of isolation, but even well before this, and in many ways this time is a blessing for us, because we've been getting more and more isolated as it is. We can't live alone. We're communal by nature. That's important. And so remember during this time, when you feel lonely, when you feel like you need to be strengthened, contact others. Use the technology in front of you. Call your friends and family from around the world, maybe from right next door. Interact and again, sign up. Not because I'm just promoting it, but because it's good for you, because it will strengthen you and help you endure this season. Sign up on our website to join a KLC Zoom. All right, let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your, uh, your faithfulness, the confidence that we can put in you. As has been prayed, I reiterate, Lord, would by your spirit, you open up our ears to hear your word this morning or this week, if we're listening later. And Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're going to read from Daniel chapter 11 this morning. Kevin, you got your Bible open? Good. If you're at home, I encourage you to open a physical Bible. It's nice. If you don't have one, you can look it up online. Uh, I also encourage you to take notes just like you would normally get a pencil and a paper. We're going to read from Daniel chapter 11. We're actually going to start in verse 31. His armed forces will rise up to desecrate the temple fortress and will abolish the daily sacrifice. Then they will set up the abomination that causes desolation. With flattery, he will corrupt those who have violated the covenant, but the people who know their God will firmly resist him. Those who are wise will instruct many, though for a time they will fall by the sword or be burned or captured or plundered. When they fall, they will receive a little help, and many who are not sincere will join them. Some of the wise will stumble or fall so that they may be refined, purified, and made spotless until the time of the end, for it will still come at the appointed time. The king will do as he pleases. He will exalt and magnify himself above every god and will say unheard of things against the god of gods. He will be successful until the time of wrath is completed for what has been determined must take place. He will show no regard for the gods of his ancestors or for the one desired by women, nor will he regard any god, but will exalt himself above them all. Instead of them... He will honor a God of fortresses, a God unknown to his ancestors. He will honor with gold and silver, with precious stones and costly gifts. He will attack the mightiest fortresses with the help of a foreign God and will greatly honor those who acknowledge him. He will make them rulers over many people and will distribute the land at a price. Are you encouraged immediately by this word this morning? Me too. A little confusing to hear if you haven't read the beginning of the chapter or you haven't been following with us throughout Daniel. Daniel is largely a book about who the true king is. The first six chapters are various acts, scenarios that Daniel and his friends go through under the reigns of Nebuchadnezzar and those who come after him. And then in these latter six chapters of the 12 chapters of Daniel, you get a series of prophetic visions that Daniel has, words that he receives. And this is one of those. And we have to ask because I started with this, his armed forces and never told you who he was. Who is he? He's the king of the north. The first 30 verses of Daniel 11 are about this battle, or rather these battles that are going to take place in the land, particularly in the land of Israel, but also in the land of Babylon, also in the whole of Mediterranean. In many ways, the whole world as known by these people at this time. And there's a king of the south who rises up. And there's wives. And there's murder. And there's backstabbing. And there's friends. And there's sons. And there's the king of the north who rises up. And eventually it's the king of the north who takes over everything. But throughout the whole chapter, you'll actually see uh, very clearly, though Daniel was in the era of Babylon, the succession of power from the Babylonians to the Persians, to the Greeks, to the Romans. But then we get this shift... And you might recognize these words if you're familiar with the New Testament. His armed forces will rise up to desecrate the temple fortress and will abolish the daily sacrifice. Then they will set up the abomination that causes desolation. Does that ring a bell for any of you? These are the words of Jesus. Jesus pulls from this very vision to talk about something that is yet to come, even something that is coming. And It's unclear exactly how he does it, but throughout this chapter, Daniel moves from, it's all future to him, so from times past, fulfilled through the time of Jesus to something that we yet still anticipate, according to the words of Jesus. The Antichrist, if you will. Who is the King of the North? Well, he's the Antichrist. He is the one who stands against everything that God stands for who in this heart of hearts, right, seeks only to lift himself up to glory at the expense of the world, which is the opposite of what God does, right? But particularly in here, you see he wants to be God. Look at verse 36. The king will do as he pleases. He will exalt and magnify himself above every God. That's his goal. He says, all of this belongs to me. All of this, I control. I'm the puppet master. That's the king of the north. And the troubling thing, the really troubling thing, is that by all measures he succeeds. (laughs) Look again, verse 36. The king will do as he pleases. Who gets to do what they please? anyone who nobody can stop. This guy rules in the worst sort of way. He has power even over the temple to abolish it and to destroy it. And I want you to imagine what that is like for a people whose entire life is fixated and kind of orbits the temple because the presence of God is there. That's the source of their power. That's the source of their strength. And this one comes in and just desecrates it. Where's your faith center? You can ask yourself. If somebody came in and just ripped it out, crushed it, disproved it, right, with things that looked and felt like facts, what would you do? Would you crumble? (laughs) There's two options that the king of the north leaves the people in the world because he has control over their fear or at least he thinks he does he can do two things one, you can bow to him or two, he can kill you that's it, those are the options (laughs) which is better? But he's cunning. He's not just violent. Look at this. Verse 32. With flattery. He will corrupt. The trickiest bit about the devil, the trickiest bit about Satan, the trickiest bit about the Antichrist is that he's really charming. He comes and you only have two options, bow to him or die. But he's going to make bowing to him look so good. And even responsible, right? What's the responsible thing to do? He uses flattery, excessive, insincere praise given especially to further one's interests, right? One of the questions that we're asking today is how is the devil flattering you? But it's not the only question we're asking today because look at the (laughs) option, right? The people of God who know God will firmly resist him, but if you go all the way to the end of this section, he'll attack the mightiest fortresses with the help of foreign God and will greatly honor those who acknowledge him. What is he looking for? He's one who's going to flatter you, and what's he expect? Flattery in return. There's a big difference between flattery and worship, and this is kind of an aside, but I just want to bring this up. If you, if you go and you flatter God because you are uh, looking to gain something from Him, you're not actually worshiping. And that's actually the best that we can offer the devil is flattery because he doesn't deserve our worship because there's nothing sincere that can happen in that transaction. But you can worship the Lord. Flattery to us, flattery to Him. Are you going to give it? Who here is quarantined? Raise your hand. Nice. Who here in their quarantine can say with utter confidence that Disney Plus came at such a great time? (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah. I've got two small kids. If Disney Plus didn't exist right now, who knows? Oh, who knows? We'd probably be healthier, let's be honest. But it sure is fun. When my sister was a little girl, we had a balcony in our house, and every day, every day, she would Prop herself up every day without fail. She's blonde, right? Doesn't look anything like Ariel. I have a daughter of the same genetic code, right? At least partially, who has red hair and blue eyes. I'm a goner. She's gonna be Ariel no matter how hard I resist. And I have to tell you, Ariel is nice. She makes horrible decisions. (laughs) So bad. If you recall, she gets mad at her dad because he's being responsible. And so she makes a deal with Ursula, the literal devil of the sea, so that she can marry a guy she's never met while she's 16 years old. And we tell all of our kids, watch this. This is great. It's so good. I love The Little Mermaid. But it's a great example of this situation, right? Ursula... Right is there. She doesn't have to do much. All that she needs to do is convince Ariel that I, Ursula, can give you exactly what you need. It doesn't cost much. It's just your voice. And the devil comes to us and he says, I can give you exactly what you need. It doesn't cost much. It's just your voice. Just flatter me a little bit. So what do we do when the flattery comes, when the temptation comes, and it's subtle? Maybe it's uh, maybe it's you're in a, a locker room, right? This was my experience growing up, and uh, and you want to get along with the cooler kids in the locker room, and they start doing something that's inappropriate, and you say, "Well, I know I shouldn't do this, but but I want that. What's the cost? It's not much." You step in. Or uh <clears throat> maybe it's our congressmen and women who unfortunately had some secret knowledge and were like, it really doesn't cost much. Right? I'm not doing anything wrong. I know this. I shouldn't I, I shouldn't hurt myself, right? I'll just do something kind of a little bit shady. Cause look at all this is responsible financing. Is it not? It's sneaky. It's subtle. These offers that are a little too good to be true, that don't cost much and get us exactly what we want right now. These are the tactics of the devil in our times of weakness, especially in times like now, when all of our needs and all of our structures and all of our centers are falling apart, are being ripped away from us. The things, the rhythms that we build our life around Ideally, they worship of God, but for many of us, they're not. And when we lose those things, what do we turn to? Well, anything that can give us what we need. What's the cost? I'll do it. Be careful. Knowing that Satan wants to do this to us, that the devil is out to get us, basically, what do we do? Knowing as well that it's true. This Antichrist is coming. He has authority in the world to a certain extent. He can give us what we want. If I cheat and I steal, guess what? I have more stuff. What do we do? It's convenient that God does not leave us alone and without wisdom. Because Jesus encountered this exact situation. What season are we in? Lent. Thank you, all eight of you. What other season are we in? Quarantine. (laughs) Open to Matthew chapter 4, if you will, where Jesus had his own season of fasting, of Lent, and of quarantine, and of temptation. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. What did Jesus need? Food! What do you think he wanted really bad? Food! And Satan's like, just get some. Easy. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth. Of God. and then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And again the devil took him to a very high mountain and he showed him, all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Let's go back to Daniel. Right. He will make rulers. He will greatly honor those who acknowledge him. He will make them rulers over many people and will distribute the land at a price. What's the price? It's so easy. Oh. That's all it takes. And now I can own this stuff? Cool. And Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan. For it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil left him, and the angels came and attended him. He flattered Jesus. First he offered him what he needed, said, look, you need bread, have some. And he said, God's going to take care of you, you're the chosen one, the angels will. Don't give in, friends, don't give in. And I also want you not to hear something that I'm not saying, because in this season, Satan, through the hands of many humans, right, who are just tricked, doesn't mean they're wicked to the core, who are just tricked, who are sick, if you will, are going to try and take advantage of you. Right, They're going to try and capitalize you and on your fear this year. Don't just lay flat. Don't just give up. Don't just give in. But be more cunning. Be more shrewd. Jesus says, Matthew 10, verse 16, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. The wise men of the book of Daniel, they don't just bow down or they don't just, sorry, lay down and give up, but they resist and they teach and they share the word of God for the season in, its, in, in which it's required. And what does Jesus do when the devil comes to him using the devil's cunning, the devil's wisdom and smarts and shrewdness? He outshrews him. He knows the word even more. He's even more prepared. Is he like a lamb? Is he vulnerable? Is he bowing? Yes and no, he's wise, he's cunning, he's shrewd like we can be. And so the challenge for us is to be smarter, not to just constantly say, no, 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 I'm helpless, I'm helpless, but to see through the lies that are going to be presented to us in this time, to see through the false narrative that it's responsible for us to hoard. to see through the false storyline that it's responsible for us to take all of our cash out and immediately invest it in gold. Maybe. You know what's more responsible? Love your neighbor. I've been able to be really close to a story of a man named Richard Wormbrand, and I'd love to show a scene for you, but we're not allowed to. So I'm just going to act it out as best as I can. Richard Richard Wormbrand is an incredible man with an incredible wife named Sabina, who was a Romanian pastor, uh, a Lutheran, but we're all friends. And um, Romania, if you remember, during World War II was brutalized. First by the Nazis, but then after World War II, the communists came in. And he was at uh, a a scene which is called the Congress of of Cults. And it was a thing that the Communist Party, the Red Party, would do when they came to a new country. They'd gather a lot of the religious and uh, secular leaders together and they'd give a proposal. And so Richard Wormbrand tells this story. You can watch this scene in the movie Tortured for Christ or you can read it in a book of the same name. Richard narrating says they convened a Congress of Cults for all ministers, pastors, and rabbis. Joseph Stalin was appointed as honorary patron. And then it goes to the scene, and there's an orthodox Romanian bishop. As Romania moves toward its inevitable progress, we can add the great names of the pantheon of the great prophets of history, Darwin and Nietzsche and Hegel and, of course, Marx, And Wormbrand continues, the Congress was broadcast across the nation. Everyone in Romania was listening to this on their radios. The idea was to persuade the public of the communists' intent to cooperate fully with the churches. I love the churches, right? My wife Sabina and I watched as religious leaders, one after another, took the podium and spoke words assuring the communists of the loyalty of the church. And Richard, sitting next to his wife, if I I go down here, can you see me? Yeah, okay. It is happening here just as it did in Russia. If you recall, the communists are a firmly atheist state and heavily persecuted the church. We have to remember this as well as pretty much everybody else. And the Methodist minister, now a new one, says, Our glorious new Romanian government is in favor of faith. Any faith. They are even going to increase the pay of the clergy. Wormbrand says, Lenin defended the church until he came to power. And then tens of thousands of Christians died in concentration camps. And his wife Sabina says, This is madness. They are spitting in the face of Christ. Will 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 you not wash away this shame? And Richard says. You do know that if I speak now, you will have no husband. Sabina. Trembling. Looks him in the eye. Quietly. Says. I don't need a coward for a husband. So, Richard stands up, middle of the Congress, right? Someone's speaking, says, Excuse me, excuse me, may I speak? Ah, submit a card like anyone else. Wait your turn. Yes, or I could just come down now. And the comrade, right, who's in charge of the meeting, speaks with that man next to him. Do you know this man? Yeah, Richard Wormbrand, Lutheran pastor, is well respected. Oh, he won't be any trouble, will he? No an endorsement from a man of his stature could be quite helpful. Okay, and next we'll hear from Pastor Wormbrand. And Wormbrand stands up, and I won't read his whole speech because I want you to listen to it for yourself and see it in another context. But he gets up, and in the face of his enemy, and in the face of those who've succumbed to the enemy because they just wanted a little more pay and they didn't want to cause any trouble, says, "Here's the lie, and here's the truth." and I'm going to be over here. And for that, you need to know, he spent 14 of the next 20 years of his life in concentration camps and prisons, was tortured, brutalized and yet saw a powerful movement of the Lord in which even many, many, many hundreds of, Rome, or of, of uh, Russian soldiers, Soviet soldiers, came to know God and to know salvation through his continued, persistent ministry, even in prison, even in the jails, even in the hospital beds. And through this time, right, he experienced the truth of what was going on in these concentration camps and one of, was one of the very first voices to expose what the Soviets were doing into America, and the truth prevailed. So I ask you, hope this story inspired you, maybe a touch during this season, who is trying to capitalize on you and your fear? Who are you tempted to flatter, to give money to, to lend support to, because of what you fear or because of a desire that you have that you know maybe is impure that they're promising for you? And in what ways are you convincing yourself that sacrificing your integrity is the responsible thing to do? But here's the secret, the best news, and the good part of this. The devil, for all of his promises to Jesus, to us, to the people in the book of Daniel, is trying to sell something he's only borrowing. Sure, he's the prince of this world. It's true. But he's only a tenant. And he knows it. And it terrifies him. And it terrifies him that we have been given the truth that he knows it. He wants so badly to be God. He's going to try and trick you into admitting to him via payment some way or another that what he's only a borrower of actually belongs to you, right? If he can sell something to you for a profit, then you admitted that he owns it, but it's not true. Repeat after me from Psalm 24, right? What's the king of the north do, right? He looks like he's the victor. He's distributing the land at a price according to what he wants, right? Repeat after me from Psalm 24, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all who live in it. The devil specifically wants to sell it to you because he knows the secret. He's not going to sell it to the rocks. This is the kicker, by the way. He's not going to sell it to the animals. He's going to sell it to you. Why? Because you're the one who's going to inherit it in the end anyway. (laughs) Think about that. Every promise that the devil makes to give you something, sacrifice your integrity for it. You're giving up that which will belong to you for free in order to pay with it for something that you won't be able to pay back. Look at this. Daniel Chapter 11, he will make them rulers over many people and will distribute it to the land. Does that sound like Jesus Christ who gives the keys of the kingdom to the people? sounds like Jesus Christ telling the parable of the owner of the people who are responsible, whom he distributes one and ten and five right, cities to, to own and to care for. And even more than that, what is the land from the beginning? It's been the gift that God ordains from his people, from the creation itself. When God gave Adam and Eve the garden, the serpent tried to take it from him. But the land was theirs to care for. The serpent succeeded and we lost it, we're kicked out. But then to Abraham, he says, I'm going to give you the land, this is your inheritance. To the Israelites, he says, this is your land, this is your inheritance. And then through Jesus Christ and to us, He gives us God's whole kingdom, and Satan says, I want what the children of God have. I want to be God. I want to sell something that doesn't belong to me to trick them because I'm so weak and frail, and I can't do anything. Just say something good about me. That's the truth. The whole earth is the Lord's, and everything in it will be your inheritance if you remain faithful, have integrity to the end. And this is the good news of Daniel, too. The end of the king Continuing in verse 40, At the time of the end, the king of the south will engage him in battle, and the king of the north will storm out against him with chariots and cavalry cavalry and a great fleet of ships. He will invade many countries and sweep through them like a flood. He will also invade the beautiful land. Many countries will fall, but Edom, Moab, and the leaders of Amman will be delivered from his hand. He will extend his power over many countries. Egypt will not escape. He will gain control over the treasures of gold and silver and all the riches of Egypt with the Libyans and Cushites—that that is the Ethiopians, in submission. But reports from the east and the north will alarm him and he will set out in a great rage to destroy and annihilate many, right? It looks like his power is growing, his power is growing, but there's a hint of a report and what does he do He and A great rage turns up in him. Why? Because he knows his power is fake. The falsity of his control and his power are slowly becoming apparent so he resorts to even more flailing violence like a toddler. He will pitch his royal tents between the seas at the beautiful holy mountain, right? He's been Can't win the battles anymore, so he goes back to the spot where at least he can proclaim the same self-lies, right? The false reality of his power is revealed, so he clings to a self-identity found only in his own self-claims and flattery that's groundless, that he is God and our type, putting himself on top of the holy mountain that belongs only to God. Yet, he will come to his end, and no one will help him. What good news, and what a warning. It's gonna look, maybe right now, and certainly at points in the future, like the devil, like those who are wicked, like those who are corrupt, like those who have sacrificed their integrity for the sake of a few worldly conquerings, right? It's gonna look like they're winning. Sure is. You know what? They're gonna die. They're going to come to their end, and nobody's going to help them. You know what? If you keep your integrity, if you keep your faith, even if it looks like you're losing, even if everything is being taken from you, in the end, you'll come to your end, and you know what it'll be? The fullness of the inheritance. All of the world. (laughs) Given to you. You don't have to buy it. It's given to you. Everything you'll ever need. By the way, all this is in Little Mermaid, too. <clears throat> it's true, right? Listen, so Ursula has her pay with her voice, right? Which we've equated to flattery, in a sense, to get legs so that she can go on land. But does the sea belong to Ursula? No. King Triton. Is the ruler of the sea. Ursula sets herself up. She gets, the, she gets the, the trident, and it looks like she's full of power, but what happens? She dies, and then she's gone. And Triton gets the thing again. And guess what he gives to Ariel? Legs. He gives her the land. It's a terrible movie, and it just so happens to be the story of the Bible. <laughs> and the whole pattern of Daniel holds true. God is the true king. No matter how much it looks like someone else's, God is the one and true king. Integrity and faithfulness to him is always the right choice. Thinking back, we've got Rack, Shaq, and Benny, right? The three boys who go into the fire. What good would it have been if they said, you know what, we've got to be responsible. There's more living for us to do. We'll just bow to the chocolate bunny. And, right, they would have lived, but instead they live on into eternity and their story continues to strengthen and to inspire. What good would it have been if Daniel had given up on the promises of God and stopped praying at the time of 70 years? We just heard last week, go back, listen to that sermon, about how uh, Daniel's continued prayers and faithfulness in the midst of adversity helped push the angel through, right, that the Lord could prevail. What good would have come if they didn't? What good will come if you lose your integrity? during this season of fear, no, not of fear, of confidence and the faithfulness of the Lord that the earth belongs to him and everything in it and he will give it to you at the appointed time because even these seasons he has appointed though we may not see how he will work them for good. Don't give up. Don't forget that the devil dies alone but that even death itself can't stop the true king and he'll take you with us or him, he'll take us with him. Pray with me. Father, thank you so much for the book of Daniel. Thank you so much for giving us patterns that we can learn from. Thank you so much for revealing to us the temptations of the devil and even more, your wisdom that we might resist. Graft your word onto our hearts and our minds that we might walk in it with our bodies. Lord, we worship you and we praise you and bend our knee to no other, no matter how good it looks. Let us not be flatterers, but worshipers, not seeking just self-gain out of insincerity, but Lord, acknowledging that you and you alone are good and true and that through you, you can bring peace and wholeness even to the most broken of things. Help us in this time through Jesus, your Son, and the power of the Spirit. Amen.